Hello and welcome to the Ballot Box global election coverage from a team of political scientists. I'm Jonathan Parker in Glasgow. I'm Andres Becer in Brooklyn. I'm Chris Terry in Manchester. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Ballot Box. Today we're going to talk about the Dutch provincial elections. We're going to go into a little bit of the constitutional setup um, and also the, the rise of a new party and its implications. So the, the Netherlands held provincial water board and island elections on the 15th of March, and the results sent waves through Dutch politics. Essentially, all the parties lost seats to the agro-populist BBB, BBB or Boer Burger Bevugen, which, is, which, which in English is the farmer citizen movement, which surged to almost 20% mm-hmm. vote from from almost nothing so that's a clearly a very interesting kind of um new actor on the scene the councillors elected today were also will also elect the dutch senate directly impacting the future of the national government we've covered the the netherlands before it's obviously a really interesting um it's a really interesting country that whose politics is extremely interesting and also kind of constantly evolving and so, so this is going to be a great episode. But before we dig into the nitty gritty of Dutch politics, um, how Chris, how are you? How, how's everything going? How's Manchester oh, and the cat? Yeah. Oh, good. Thank you. Real good. Um, yeah, I'm Go, uh, going away to Lisbon next weekend, so looking very forward to that. Very nice. <laughs> I'll be yeah. warmer than here, according to. It's mm. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit rainy. Mm. Um, is it still ultimately on the Atlantic Ocean? <laughs> that sounds that sounds great. Yeah. I've never been to Lisbon. I've heard it's amazing. Um, I'm, yeah, I've, I'm envious. Yeah. Cool. Yes, and I'm looking very forward to it. How about you, Johnny? How's the semester going in Glasgow? Are you yeah. are you still working? It's was well, the last week, next week. Um, so yeah, barreling towards the end um, uh, at speed. Um, so yeah, so can be uh, can can take a pause before too long. Uh, it's very good. Yeah, um, would also mention it's also uh, Mother's Day in the UK um, as we record. So I will, mm. will say um, a happy Mother's Day to my mother who is who is probably not listening, but may catch a bit as my dad listens to it um, out loud while she's wandering around the house. Um, so happy Mother's Day if you if you have to catch this. <laughs> wonderful i didn't know it was mother's day in the uk today mm. um different mm. different than the rest of the world um or at least well, the, the, yeah the countries that i that i've lived in um great yeah Good. different to the us yeah. yeah yeah um i don't know about elsewhere in europe well it's um, definitely definitely turkey i know holds has the u.s mother's day um i think we're in the minority Rem- race, unfortunately uh, <laughs> Rem- 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 romania doesn't have mother's day um, oh. so they can they combine it with international women's day much to mm. religious consternation international women's day gets turned into mother's day <laughs> all right so let's Let's dig into the Dutch provincial elections. Um, the constitutional setup. The Netherlands is a unitary state, but provinces are, according to the show notes that I've read in preparation for, for, <laughs> questioning, for questioning you guys, um, they're 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 relatively powerful. So what's up? What's up with the regional? Yeah. What's up with 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 these provinces? Yeah, well, I kind of it, it dates back, I suppose, to the to the 
kind of historical structure of the Netherlands, which was as a kind of coming together of these different provinces. And, and it was historically, there was the kind mm. of first sort of Dutch Republic in the 17th century and 18th century was more of a kind of confederal or federal system. Um, and even mm. though it is now theoretically a unitary state, they've still retained quite a strong role. Like they, they basically follow these kind of historical boundaries that have been the case for centuries and um there's a there's a fair amount of kind of identification with them as well um even though this is not really big country mm. they're still quite important and they're pretty powerful um so we're looking at the, mm. the we have this uh this resource which uh, used in my research sometimes called the regional authority index um which basically tries to measure just how powerful regional bodies are comparatively um and they score on this as 17.5 so for comparison an italian region gets an 18 um, which is obviously a much bigger body um, in terms of this. Uh, so the uh, and this is much ahead of like a, a county in the UK or um, in or a French department or something. It's a rather more rather more substantial yeah. body. Um, but yeah, of course, yeah. which maybe I hope I'm hoping Chris will will um, go into a little bit of like how exactly this uh, works. They are playing a really important role in selecting the uh, the Dutch upper house, um, which is usually translated mm. as the Senate. Great. So, um, so not you know, so relatively important, uh, provincial, I mean, mm -hmm. provincial authorities, right? Right. You know, obviously, yeah. uh, the regions after the administrative reform of the '90s became extremely kind of like they they got they got a huge amount of power and and autonomy. So that's that's an 18 in the in the score of this index that we're talking about, and uh, they get 17 17.5. So that's actually mm -hmm. quite high. A lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. I think part of the reason for this is also because um, the, the, the Netherlands is historically as uh, is well known to anyone who's ever kind of read much into Dutch politics. Historically, a very divided society. So the, the, the decentralization is always something that kind of pops up in when you're kind of talking about like consociationism, which of course the Netherlands is a model of. Mm -hmm. so. Great. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, and um, in addition to the to the to the provincial authority, um, citizens also got to elect twenty one water boards. Now, what mm -hmm. what are these? Um, what is this peculiarly Dutch body? As, essentially, this interacts with the essentially this interacts with the geography of the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. uh, pe pe when people think of the Dutch in terms of like stereotypes, there's always you know there's a lot of kind of stuff about dikes. Uh, mm -hmm. and, <laughs> um, Netherlands is a country that has literally reclaimed large amounts of yeah. its territory from the sea because it's so so low lying. Yeah, we should never and... forget that one of these twelve provinces, Flevoland, is actually was on was water before the 1960s like this is entirely a, like a body was raised from the sea and made into one of the provinces mm. at the point um it's entirely new so yeah i mean it's about a quarter yeah. of the area is under sea level etc so this is yeah 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 so <laughs> yeah so yeah so it's just, it's a country that is obviously prone to problems with flooding and and, and all sorts of things that come about from being low-lying. So the water boards essentially are charged with managing um, that aspect of, of judge geography and um, society. That's really, I mean, it, it's kind of fascinating that this, that this would exist. It, it obviously makes sense, especially in a country where um, elections have been, you know, there's been competitive elections for such a long time. Um, 
I think, uh, I wonder if, you know, Eleanor Ostrom, the famously the only political scientist to have won a Nobel Prize, uh, she won a Nobel uh, Prize in Economics, but her work is, you know, it's, 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 it's the bread and butter of a lot of political scientists. And she was interested to begin with in the administration of water um, and the kind of complexities around, around that as a common pool resource. So I wonder if, if Ostrom had ever wrote about the water board. I, I don't I don't recall that being part of her her famous book, Governing the Commons. It's really, really quite interesting. Um and and uh what about oh island council? Yeah, so unusually these islands are um three of them, which are known like sort of uh, known as the special municipalities. Um they are all in the Caribbean. Um so none of them, none of them particularly near the Netherlands. Um they're basically uh, some of the Netherlands' former colonial possessions in the Caribbean that don't really have a population big enough to support independent statehood. I mean, they're only around a couple of thousand on each island, um, less than that on, on one of them. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so these these have a, a, are pretty well integrated into the Dutch state and have um, they, the residents vote in, in Dutch elections, etc. And, and they have these kind of... These the the kind of municipalities which exist outside of the provinces, and they're they're um, will also elect I think an electoral college um, as well that we will supply their representation in the Senate or the people who decide their representation in the Senate um, as well. Um, yeah, there is other elements of the kind of Dutch realm in the in the Caribbean. Um, so Aruba, for instance, which people might have heard of, um, but these are somewhat different they're rather more self-governing obviously rather larger and um they're not as closely integrated with the netherlands um as well on that front um but yeah there's these 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 also held elections today although given their size um their impact on the overall results will not be um particularly dramatic um at all Mm -hmm. excellent that's so so these so we have these three bodies that were elected um, we're going to obviously focus on the on the first one that we talked about and the provinces. Um, and here there was the rise of the as as we talked about in the headlines, the BBB or the Boerburger Bewegen, farmer mm. movement. So um, who are they? Why you know how did they form? What's what are the kind of things that our listeners should know about the BBB? Broadly speaking, the like, Broadly speaking, the BBB is a um, is a kind of uh, yeah, as spoken about, an agro-populist movement which has uh, basically come about in objection to um, to kind of environmental um, measures taken on uh, on um, agriculture. The Netherlands is basically doing some stuff on agricultural emissions, which I think are probably beyond like what most other countries are doing. Um, agricultural emissions are obviously a huge deal, but most countries tend to steer clear of that. Um, in part, I suspect, because of what's basically happened in the Netherlands. So violent protests have happened from farmers. Um, there's been a huge amount of pushback. Um, from both citizens and rural communities in particular. Um, BBB has, obviously, the, the Netherlands has a kind of famously low electoral threshold, so BBB um, 
started off by kind of winning some seats in the last, like, I think it's just a single seat in the last provincial election. And then they won just a single seat in the last parliamentary election in 2021, which we spoke about briefly. Uh, um, and now have just, yeah, have completely kind of grown much further than that. Um, in part, I think, because the Dutch press has taken quite a lot of interest in them. Um, and yeah, certainly a party which seems to be on the rise right now, although um, how permanent that is, it's hard to kind of judge. Mm. Yeah, a lot of it has been spurred by an issue which has um, been quite prominent in the Netherlands in the last few years is this idea about nitrogen emissions, um, which obviously come from mm. mostly from agriculture. Um, the Netherlands is... Uh, there was a there was a, a court order, and um, the, these nitrate nitrous um, nitrate uh, insecticides are um, banned by the EU um, as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the Netherlands was uh, the court in the Netherlands has sort of instructed that the Dutch government has to do something about it. Um, mm -hmm. the six, the kind of left liberal party, which is a member of the governing coalition, um, has been come down uh, has a bit of a kind of green credentials and has been very sort of mm. prominent that it this this needs to be dealt with this issue and uh, has has been uh, pushing through policy on uh, which is basically going to halve the number of livestock um, in the Netherlands, mm. uh, which farmers haven't liked. <laughs> I think it's yeah. <laughs> to do, um, and yeah, quite obviously, I'm not going to sit here and mm. argue that. Um, pollution shouldn't be tackled and things that damage, damage the environment shouldn't be tackled. But the farmers have not been pleased with this and have, yeah, have engaged mm. in a long yeah. series of protests over the past few years. Um, yeah. Although, although it's worth briefly touching upon the fact that the Netherlands is one of the most densely populated and urbanised yeah. countries in the world. So, like, when we're talking about the farmers actual people who farm are a very small proportion of Dutch society um, and PVV has done well in places which are pretty urbanized even in even in Amsterdam for example they've won like five percent of the vote which yeah. you know is not as high as elsewhere in the country but um so in part that's probably also coming back to people who have um involvement in agriculture in other ways um obviously for example dutch dutch export huge amounts of things around the world um including you know agricultural goods um but i think there's also a kind of element of kind of anti-establishment pushback happening yeah. as well yeah um which which yeah the dutch seem to go for a cycle of having a new party to uh that is that kind of primary anti-establishment pushback every kind of few years or so yeah <laughs> i mean we should yeah also the last provincial elections in 2019 were uh won very convincingly by thierry Bedeau's um uh, forum for democracy fvd mm. uh, which also came out of nowhere and won um a huge uh, share of the of the vote in last time, so it was about less than the BBB have got this time, about 40, mm. uh, 45%, um, but still managed to top the poll um, in that in that election. Um, and yeah, and that was that was a new party come out of nowhere. Everyone was saying this is the new far right party, etc. Blah blah blah. Um, it get gained represent. It, it did okay ish in the twenty twenty one election, but then 
now has just kind of flopped completely, lost 71 seats across the country. Mm. Um, whereas, yeah, Baby Bay has come out and stormed the the, the whole thing um, across the across the country. Yeah. So there's there's a few theme, themes that I would want to like touch upon. One is um, obviously the fact that in in the Netherlands, um, parties form and then they kind of decay. Um, but it's an extreme it's a it's a it's a case with it's a country with with an enormous amount of parties right partially because of the electoral system obviously mm-hmm. which is the you know the the classical the classic explanation but also partially because of the ease with which one can form a party right ostensibly yeah um, yeah and and in these elections you have even more because there are actually a fair number of kind of province specific parties as well um they get formed mm-hmm. um so in uh Friesland in the in the north West, for instance, um, which is the province which has different language as well. There is a Frisian Nationalist Party, which takes a bit less than 10% mm. of the vote. But other provinces as well have like a kind of localist option or something like that. Mm. Quite a lot. Party for Zealand, Party for the North, Party, all of these kind of, yeah, extra. They, they, they all kind of band together in the Senate as well. Um, but yeah, there'll be all these tiny micro parties um, as well. Um, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other reason is also just um the complete change in dutch society that has happened since the 70s like the dutch um kind of very low threshold and very proportional system originated in the fact that it was a very divided society principally along religious lines um and of course as society has secularized those divides have kind of largely gone away um so that's kind of left a lot very large number of voters up for grabs mm. essentially yeah um, i mean the, the netherlands is a great case uh for demonstrating the kind of link between um electoral systems and party systems or actually the kind of lack of link in some in respects i mean we can quite confidently say probably a majoritarian mm. system can push towards a uh sort of two more two-party setup but proportional systems can allow for a multi-party system but they don't necessarily cause it and the netherlands is quite the netherlands had actually fairly low fragmentation if we were to look back in the 50s or 60s Mm. and nowadays because when the kind of segmentation of society was very very uh pronounced and had quite stable voting um but now has Mm. absolutely insane fragmentation and the electoral system has been exactly the same um throughout and and and, and also and also um volatility as yeah. a, volatility as in um the amount of change between elections you used to have very little change between elections in the Netherlands and now the Netherlands is the most volatile democracy in Europe after Italy <laughs> um so yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, and I wonder, so so in 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 countries where uh, in in systems where the electoral rules um, mm. incentivize multi many parties, a multi party system, and where um, the the barriers to setting up a party are low, ambitious politicians have an incentive to form another party rather than to challenge like established yeah. leadership. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have a incentive to vote for new parties rather than voting for like different yeah. parties or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. why why would you stay in your existing party with somebody a leader you don't agree with, and you could just have your own and probably 
get in Parliament, I mean, this is a kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and there's also an element of um, of, kind of charismatic leadership becoming very important. BBB has a has a charismatic leader. Um, it's generally held to be the case um, in the form of um, I can't Caroline Van der Plaats. That's her name. Yes, Caroline Van der Plaats is um, generally considered to be a um, very charismatic uh, leader and very, very media savvy as well. Um, mm. Is yeah, yeah, and and is quite importantly for I think point Chris wants to make a former Christian Democrat. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, which is one thing we should talk about as well because the. The Christian Democratic Appeal, the CDA, which was once the uh, by far the largest party in Dutch politics, um, has mm. sunk to a six point four percent in this election. Um, but yeah, Chris, I think you think this is yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, 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 between basically the introduction of universal suffrage um, in um, in the kind of early nineteen twenties. And the um, and the um, and 1994, the there was a Christian Democratic Party because for many years there were multiple Christian Democratic parties in every government in, in the Dutch. It wasn't just that they were very popular; um, they weren't all, always necessarily the largest party even but, but yeah they weren't necessarily always the largest party but they did tend to win elections more than any other part of party but there was also the fact that they kind of positioned themselves kind of very centrally within the system so therefore it was very hard for kind of other parties to form coalitions about them um it, so yeah there were kind of stories of like the christian democrats in the 80s um even telling the uh, um telling um the american ambassador that we rule this country <laughs> in a quite literal manner um and yeah again the netherlands has secularized very quickly um christian democracy has become less relevant with time um the party tried to deal with that by well i mean for one thing they kind of merged because it was it was three parties, one of which was Catholic, two of which were Protestant before the 70s. They merged. Um, they tried to kind of position themselves as kind of more of a kind of technocratic centre-right party, um, kind of guarantors of stability. Um, they had a kind of renaissance in the 2000s, um, but they kind of lost that reputation after a long period in government. Um, and they've been kind of on their way out. I think things have gotten even worse for them since the last election. Um, we spoke about the last election um, on this podcast, but we didn't speak about very much about the aftermath because obviously it came after we recorded. Um, the coalition negotiations um, took a really kind of interesting turn for the Christian Democrats. Um, basically, that election was caused by a scandal to do with um, to do with child benefit payments. Um, that was actually exposed by a Christian Democratic politician um, called uh, Peter um, Pieter Omzic. Um, during the coalition negotiation, who yeah, he was one of the uh, uh, Omzic became kind of it was one of the most popular Christian Democrats. 
um, he um, was he won a very large number of personal votes at the last election, as I understand it, despite not being leader. Um, he um, during the coalition negotiations, um, the person mediating the um, negotiations, one of the informators, um, was photographed reading with a note um, coming out of a meeting saying um, "Omzit position elsewhere." Um, which was taken as meaning that Mark Ritter, the Prime Minister who had been um, very connected with the scandal, um, was basically trying to make sure that he didn't get a position in Cabinet. Um, this kind of spiralled into a kind of big scandal um, about whether was, about whether Russell was lying to Parliament and so on and so forth. But it all, and eventually Omzitz, um left the Christian Democrats and he now sits as an independent in the Dutch lower house. Um, but obviously that has had particular ramifications for the Christian Democrats who look kind of, uh, who I think I think the understanding was was that Umzic felt that his party was not defending him. Um, he was very popular with a certain wing of the party. He was kind of considered to be on the kind of more Eurosceptic end of the Christian Democrats. Um, and yeah, but the uh, and you, if you look into Dutch polling, um, basically before and after Umzic quits the party. Um, the, the Christian Democrats lose half the support. <laughs> um, uh, BBB, Christian Democrats have had, particularly in recent years, a primarily rural base. Um, the kind of last remaining kind of bastion of the party was kind of rural um, Netherlands. And again, as and there are a lot of former Christian Democrats in BBB, the, the party certainly seems to be pulling from the kind of area, particularly particularly strongly in the kinds of areas where the Christian Democrats have historically done well. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely a connection between that Christian Democrat collapse. Um, they're now up a little bit from where they were, but they're still not even as strong as they were in 2021, which was a, a historically bad election for them, <laughs> um, even by the terms of recent years where they've basically become like a junior coalition partner to their their former regular junior coalition partner. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, anyway, that's my kind of ramble about that. <laughs> Great. Um, I mean, looking at the results table, it's, it's very clear why the, I mean, it's very clear that the BBB is really, um, it's kind of an anomaly, right? It's, it's, it's gotten nearly 20% of the vote. And it's and mm -hmm. the runner up is, is Mark Rutte's party with eleven point fifteen percent of the vote, and then mm -hmm. from there on, all of the parties get less than nine percent of the vote. Um, yeah, that's that's quite impressive. It was really, you know, the the most important, you know, the most um, successful performer here was was yeah. the BBC. in lots of ways. Um, so I think one of the kind of questions to ask is. Is is are are Dutch provincial elections like second order elections in the sense that they have lower turnout and citizens are more likely to vote for 
protest parties um they're deemed like less less i guess important or less mainstream and therefore you have a kind of different logic to to the election or are they a sort of um are they a sort of uh harbinger of what might come next um that's a yeah, they definitely. Well, I mean, I'd let Chris talk a bit about this, but I mean, did they definitely get a lower turnout? I mean, it's still over mm. half the population voting these things normally. Yeah. Um, but and these got about fifty eight percent, whereas the the last election, um, fifty eight percent is like a normal U.S. election. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but, but, but but the Netherlands is um, a very high turnout society. Yeah. So, so the the last general election in comparison, seventy eight point seven. Um, which, and that was, which that was, was a, fairly low, right? As well, like, that, yeah. that, that, that was a record low, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that, that the previous election had had a turnout of over 80, so oh. mm. yeah, and that because that, that one election was held in the middle of COVID, um, as well. That's mm. why, yeah, and so yeah, they're, they're significantly low, although still get over half of the registered voters do come out and bother to cast the vote, etc. Um, yeah, I mean, there is a second. I mean, there is a there is a kind of a bit of a midterm kind of thing going on here. I mean, these are generally mm. held about halfway mm. through the, um, but about halfway through the kind of uh, parliamentary term, um, and then mm. the potential to kind of hobble the government in some ways if the composition of the Senate changes quite dramatically. Um, so yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of a bit of an element of that, um, going on. Um, I would guess, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, and I think in recent years, they have certainly been used more and more as a kind of midterm protest vote. Like, um, like yeah, the last elections where, yeah, again, from for democracy did quite well, I think was a kind of good example of that. Um, the, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and some and some other previous previous ones have certainly been used to kind of Express discontent. The Dutch have become more and more kind of seemingly discontented with whatever government is in power quite rapidly. Um, and the, this has certainly been a pretty bad election for the governing coalition. Um, you know, um, all of them lost, all, all parties in the coalition lost votes, although pretty much all parties apart from, um, apart from BBB. Lost votes. <laughs> so it's not saying much. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, me. I mean, the other thing to mention is we all parties lost votes. All parties. Well, the one one of the few that didn't was the Party for the Animals, which actually gained a few seats. Um, yeah, which, is, which which BBB have identified as their arch rivals um, in in the past. Yeah. I, I think that's something that that's something that you've seen a lot, and that's something you've seen yeah. a lot in the Netherlands is that parties, when when parties, when protest parties rise, typically parties who they identify as their enemies also rise because the kind of issues that get debated get kind of thrown up the agenda. Yeah, so you saw, saw saw something for a while with Democrat sixty six, for yeah. example, were very purposely um, putting themselves as the kind of enemy of the far right on kind of immigration debates and whenever the mm -hmm. far right was doing well democrat 66 was also doing well yeah um, exactly. yeah and uh volt the the pan-european party um also mm -hmm. had a bit of an increase here this was 
this game season. Well, well they, they they didn't. Yeah, they didn't run last time, but they did yeah. gain from from the um, from the um, election as well. I think in part that's probably because D sixty six is in government right now, and a vault are kind of like a very easy place for kind of D sixty six voters to go. Although D sixty six will be. I mean, I think. They lost seats in this, but compared to the other governing parties, especially compared obviously to the CDA, their losses have been pretty slight. Um, in comparison, yeah, although I would say that's probably also in part because the last provincial election weren't particularly great for them yeah. either, so yeah. um, they they had a yeah, um, so yeah, they've they've lost seats, but uh, but from a relatively low base, I think, for, for them. Yeah. Um, albeit they've had lower <laughs> D66 is a particularly good example of a volatile Dutch party because they go all over the place <laughs> depending on like what opinion the opinion is of them at any given mm-hmm. time yeah I think what, what is uh, really important to mention as well is what's happening on the the left of, of mm. well um, with the, the Labour Party and uh, Green Left um, seeming to be coming together um a bit here um, yeah they've yeah so they've announced that they'll do like a joint senate group and stuff um mm. and and if yeah, and they, they, the two parties they are the second biggest force in these elections um on this planet. yeah so they'll, they'll yeah they'll either they'll either be the yeah they'll either be the biggest or the second biggest um senate group they, they're very close in size to um to bbb mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to invite a kind of second type of reflection from you guys, which is about the sort of the the nature of the of the issues which the BBP is thriving on. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is like a reaction to maybe green politics. Mm -hmm. So how likely is this to be? How likely are we to see other European countries um, face a kind of similar? Uh, party or movement that is successful based on hitting, I guess, like tradition and a, a, I don't know, a, the kind of uh, agricultural sector or maybe other industries against um, n- new pro-environmental policies, pro-environment policies. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's relatively familiar to the rhetoric of a lot of parties on the radical right at this stage. I mean, some of them have gone a bit more kind of green but a lot of them still like the AFD for some reason um like is has taken a very clear kind of anti sort of climate kind of climate skeptic position we don't need to be doing this whatever likes a waste of money um really kind of identified the greens as its primary opponent uh kind of on the mm. on this point uh yeah I mean, there are there are there are other kind of forces um around Europe and, and I suppose as, as as it as as costs become more apparent um, on this, mm-hmm. uh, you're gonna get you're gonna get more of this. Unfortunately, I think like there's gonna be this is gonna be more, uh, yeah, more polarizing in different places. Yeah, I mean, again, I would say I, I would say that some of what the BBB is objecting to is essentially unique to the Netherlands in terms of policy. Like no, no other country is trying to halve its number of livestock, for instance. <laughs> so um, I suspect, I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, four countries, which um, do look over their shoulder a little bit at the Netherlands, where 
this makes it less likely that they that those countries might kind of try putting those policies into place as well, which, you know, whether you think that's good or bad, um, is certainly a potential consequence. So I wouldn't be surprised if a kind of couple of kind of Dutch neighbors, particularly given again, the Netherlands is not a country that you would particularly naturally list as like top of your um top of your list of countries that might kind of um like have a kind of big rampant um agricultural kind of uh, stuff back because it's not a particularly agrarian society it's probably mm. one of the, the less agrarian societies in europe <laughs> um but at the same time I think probably the particular way in which BBB has come about is probably a fairly uniquely Dutch phenomenon um, because the Dutch can support having kind of relatively single issue parties much more easily because of the nature of their electoral system. I, I think you're probably going to, I think it's probably less likely that you're going to see a party like this emerge elsewhere, but you might see these themes come up mm. within. Um, existing parties. I, I can imagine, you know, it, for example, a country like Germany with a much higher threshold. Um, I can't imagine, you know, as John, Jonathan says, there the AFT has taken on the stuff, but I can also imagine kind of segments of the CDU kind mm. of like taking on, the, taking on this kind of rhetoric as well, well um, fairly easily. Um, and yeah, you can, um, yeah, so yeah, and um, yeah, obviously, Again, part of this is coming about because of um, genuine protests that have happened um, in the Netherlands. Um, yeah, although um, some people like, for example, Cass Mudder has accused the BBB of being essentially a front for agro-business. So, um, to, to the extent of which this is kind of genuine grassroots or astroturfed, I can't particularly say, but um, certainly so um, some people who know more about Dutch politics than me um, think that um, there's at least some element of astroturfing going on. That that I mean that that makes that makes sense for several reasons. One is obviously Casmode is like a very well, you know, very well known political scientist. I'm sure from the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he he's he's got a lot of information about this. And the other is that although the Netherlands is a very urban society, I think it it actually um, agriculture is quite a big business in the Netherlands. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a very efficient agricultural sector. And again, um, again, it's worth remembering that Rotterdam, for example, is the biggest port in Europe, <laughs> and I think. I think um, Amsterdam is like fairly high up the list of biggest ports in Europe and, and the world yeah. as well. So, you know, it, it's it, it, so, yeah, you don't need to be you, do, you don't need to be working in rural area to be affected by what's happening with rural business. Um, people who work in ports. I don't have any information whatsoever on, on the demographics of the people in cities who have voted for BBB. Um, but I wouldn't. But you could you can imagine like people who work on on docks perhaps might vote for them in larger numbers than um, other people. Mm -hmm. mm. Great. Well, um, hmm. I'm I'm out of questions. I feel like this has been mm. a very thorough um, analysis. Mm. 
the rise of the BBB. I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to talk I, about. I think it might be interesting to talk about what's happened on the far right. Mm-hmm. Um, just for a brief moment. Um, yeah. So, as we said, the Forum for Democracy did very well last time and have collapsed this time. Um, Forum for Democracy um, basically collapsed into infighting um, some years ago over kind of various things that were leaked out of its um, out of its. Um, internal whatsapp groups and things like that um the party was essentially more middle class far-right party as opposed to Gertwilder's kind of longer running party for freedom but it was also a party that allowed for so Gertwilder's party for freedom um is a famously internally autocratic party which officially only has two members one of which is Gert Fielders and the other of which is the Gert Fielders Foundation. <laughs> um, because um, um, which, because you legally have to have two members to qualify as a party in the Netherlands. Forum um, Democracy is still a pretty auto- internally autocratic party, but it's still, but it has it has members, um, and therefore um there was the allowance for infighting, and that was basically what ended it. So the Forum for Democracy has basically collapsed a long way. But Fielder's uh, um, party is one of the parties which I think... Uh, yeah, oh, no, actually, no, I had that one. Fielder's party has kind of lost a little bit less. Um, so it's once again the biggest party on the far right. Um, and also a party called JA21, which basically was a splinter from Forum for Democracy. Um, which has tried to basically market itself as the kind of more moderate end of the um, far right that um, would potentially go into coalition with um, Rutter's um, Veve Day. Rutter has himself at times said that he'd quite like to go into coalition with JA21, albeit um, his potential coalition partners um, object very much to that idea. <laughs> um, so um they've also gone up a bit the far right is in general a little bit down um but um not by much um and it's probably it's probably the case that some of their vote has gone to um bbb but probably not no i I think it's probably right to say that most of what's probably happened is essentially party for freedom and J21 picking up some of the vote, uh, uh, most of the vote that's gone that um, Forum for Democracy has lost. Um, and then some far right votes going to um, going to BBB. But also, but I think probably BBB has probably pulled in more votes from, um, from the Christian Democrats than anyone else. Um, although, yeah, again, almost every party has lost votes in this election. <laughs> um, so, um, BBB may well be pulling from all over the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to definitely continue looking at the evolution of uh, Dutch politics and, and mm-hmm. parties, I think, um, in in months or years to come, where, where it's going to be yeah. you know, a country that we have to cover. So mm-hmm. fascinating. Um, yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And then a kind of couple of things to talk about in terms of the consequence as well. Um, BBB has won enough votes that's probably going to have the largest Senate group of any party since about 2011. Mm. Um, so it's going to take a role. Um, it, it, there's been an interesting thing that's happened with the Dutch Senate in recent years. The Dutch Senate is not as powerful as the lower house, but it's still got some pretty strong powers on paper. But historically, it's not been kind of seen as very powerful. I think that's probably in large part because in the less volatile period of Dutch politics, you could basically guarantee that if there that any coalition that had a majority in the lower house would also have one in the Senate. Mm. Um, that's basically stopped being true since uh, that's only stopped being true very, very recently. Um, it's uh, literally uh, uh, during the time that Mark Rutter has become been prime minister, which is since 2010, that that has basically stopped being a kind of regular rule. Um, so the coalition didn't have a majority before this election. They only had about 40% of the seats, which meant that they had to kind of negotiate with other parties to pass their legislation. But now they're down to something more like 30%, <laughs> um, which is going to cause them headaches. Um, the the um, but they can still probably um, kind of negotiate legislation by basically negotiating with parties to their right and BBB on things like immigration and um, negotiating with parties to their left on things like um, the environment. Um, the other headache for the Dutch government is BBB has essentially won the election in uh, has essentially won the election not just won the election overall but has basically won the largest number of seats in every um provincial council um which means that they are very well positioned to um end up leading provincial governments um it, um which you know will obviously involve coalition negotiations that that is itself also a headache for the Dutch government because the powers over um, environmental stuff in rural areas are actually shared with the provincial councils. And so BBB is now actually going to have to, so if BBB ends up in power, they will be legally expected to um, implement Dutch um, national government priorities uh, in terms of things like pesticides. <laughs> um, so that's going to be, yeah, an interesting headache for the Dutch government. It's setting it up for, it's, 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 it's like the situation is being set up for a, a conflict, right? At, at a certain point. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, definitely a conflict. Yeah, possibly a kind of conflict between different levels of, of Dutch political administration, which I think is relatively rare in the Netherlands. Um, <laughs> given that it's again historically a pretty um consensual society yeah uh -huh. all right great wow. that, that's really interesting um is there anything else we want to talk about in dutch politics i think that's it for now um yeah i i'm always fascinated i mean i i know very little about the, the country's politics but when i hear you guys talk about it i'm always kind of fascinated there's mm -hmm. a lot to dig into <laughs> all right you guys well um thanks thanks everyone for listening
um, next week, I don't think we know what we're going to cover yet. So yeah, it'll, it'll be a, it'll be a surprise. Yeah. I, I don't think people will be able to contain their excitement um, on this. Oh. <laughs> well, please do leave a, do, do leave a review, subscribe, tell your friends, um, the, especially people who are interested in elections, although not only them, that uh, there's this podcast and that you, you recommend us. Um, we're always looking for new listeners. Thank you everyone. And, um, have a great uh, have a great day. Bye. Bye. Bye.